Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai. And you are listening to Food Nonfiction, the incredible true stories behind food. Today's story is about kombucha. Considered a natural health drink, kombucha has become incredibly popular in the mainstream market. If you've never had it before, it tastes a little sweet, a little sour, and a little bubbly. Even if you have had it before, you might not really know what it is. Basically, it's a drink made from fermenting sweet tea. The story of where kombucha came from is unclear, but most sources say that it originated from a northeastern part of China that was historically known as Manchuria. According to these sources, the earliest record we have of a drink that could have been what we now know of as kombucha was from around 220 BCE. This tea was considered a tea of immortality. But who knows if that drink was even what we now know of as kombucha? It may not be possible to know. The reason why it's so hard to pin down kombucha history is because this is a drink that was made at home. Since it wasn't a commercial product in the beginning, there isn't a trail of patents or trademarks. There's no company branding the drink with a specific name. So it was called all sorts of different names. And as the drink spread across the world, it was given names in different languages. For example, one French name for kombucha was Elixir de Longue Vie, meaning Elixir of Long Life. Since kombucha had so many names, it's hard to pin it down when you're looking for references of it in old texts. Fortunately, some of kombucha's other names are also clues to where it came from. For example, some places called the floating mass used to brew kombucha Russian fungus, and the drink has also been called Manchurian tea. So while we may never have an exact origin story, we do know that early on, kombucha was in China and Russia. It likely spread with the trading along the Silk Road. Nowadays in North America, we mostly call the fermented sweet tea by one name, kombucha. But where did the name kombucha come from? Again, we don't know, but we'll tell you two compelling stories about how the name kombucha might have come to be. So one story is that there was a Korean doctor named Dr. Kombu who brought the drink to Japan to cure the Japanese emperor, Inkyo, of his digestive problems sometime around 415 CE. Since the Japanese word for tea is cha, the drink apparently became known as kombu cha, as in kombu tea, a tea named after Dr. Kombu. Another possibility is simply a case of mistaken identity. Kombu is a common seaweed in Japan, and as we've already mentioned, cha is the Japanese word for tea. So kombu cha refers to a seaweed tea. So some people have speculated that perhaps what we now know of as kombucha was mistakenly identified as kombu cha and got its name that way. Whatever the origin story, how is it that this very old, Homebrewed drink is now a popular mainstream drink that is found ready-made in most grocery stores. Well, in 1994, Laurel Farms started selling mail-ordered SCOBY from Los Angeles. SCOBY is spelled S-C-O-B-Y. It's an acronym for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. SCOBY is what you use to ferment sweet tea to make kombucha. 
So Laurel Farms was selling scoby to people that wanted to brew their own kombucha. They presented kombucha as a miracle cure for all sorts of things. The scobies were packaged with a sticker that said, expect a miracle. So people without a cure turned to kombucha. It became very popular amongst people with HIV and AIDS. For a short while, business was booming. But in 1995, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported on two cases of extreme illness, one that ended in death. They believed the problem might have been related to drinking kombucha, since the women in both cases had been drinking kombucha brewed with the same SCOBY. While it was never proven that the kombucha had played a role in the illnesses, the report was enough to scare many people off drinking kombucha. However, of course, not everyone was scared off of drinking kombucha. Lorraine Dave was still drinking kombucha when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. During her treatments, she believed that kombucha played a role in keeping her strong. Her son, George Thomas Dave, better known as G.T. Dave, was also convinced that kombucha played a role in his mother's recovery. G.T. Dave founded what is now known as G.T.'s Living Foods, a company that has helped push kombucha into mainstream retail stores. So the popularity of kombucha has been built on the belief that it is a powerful health product. There's a long list of things that kombucha has been reported to help with. Reversal of gray hair, improved eyesight, weight loss, fixing arthritis, and the list goes on. So what can kombucha really do? It's time to turn to the expert. In this episode, you'll be hearing from the biochemist Stacy Wilson. She is also the author of the book, Simply Kombucha. I'm Stacy Wilson. My background is I was trained as a biochemist uh, quite a long time ago. Now I took time out from being a research scientist to have kids. And what I like to do now at the moment is blog about kombucha. You know, here you, you get on the internet or you get a book out of the library about kombucha and it will talk about how it will cure everything from um, the common cold to AIDS to cancer to hair loss to, you know, everything will be cured by kombucha. So um, when I looked online on some of the um, databases of published scientific research and typed kombucha and then a whole bunch of papers did come up and it was quite exciting, yeah, to see that people had been doing research on it and um, getting some some actual results about what kombucha could and couldn't do. And, and of course, it can't cure cancer or hair loss or AIDS, but there are some really promising results about, about it as a health food. So what are the most reputable health benefits? Well, there are two main ones, really. The, um, the first is that it's an antioxidant, so it's, it's definitely an antioxidant. What, what an, I'll go back a little bit. What an antioxidant is is that it, uh, it counteracts what's called a free radical in your body. So um, a free radical is a chemical in your body, a molecule of your body that has been charged somehow through, usually through natural food processes, or it can be through um, pollution or something like that, that um, there's some biochemical interaction there that makes a molecule that shouldn't be charged, charged. And, um, and what that does is it starts interacting with other molecules that it normally wouldn't interact with, and it can create um, kind of a cascade of problems inside your cells, which then can make your cells behave in, in ways they shouldn't. So um, if you have got an overload of free radicals in your body, you get what's called oxidative stress, and oxidative stress can lead to 
depending on which molecules are affected, can lead to heart disease or it can lead to cancer or it can, um, you know, lead to advanced ageing and, and that sort of stuff. So an antioxidant counteracts the effects of those free radicals at an early stage. So the um, current thinking is that if you eat a diet that's high in antioxidants, that then you can do you can prevent some forms of cancer and you can prevent some forms of heart disease and you can slow down the aging process, not necessarily significantly, but significantly enough to, to give a quality of life. Since you use tea to make kombucha and tea is known to have antioxidants, it's no surprise that kombucha has antioxidants as well. What may be surprising is that kombucha actually has more antioxidants than the tea that you used to make it with. What about probiotics? Can you tell us a little bit about what that is first and then how it's a part of kombucha? Sure. So um, if something's a probiotic, it's good for your gut, essentially. It's a, a living microbe that if you've got it in your gut, then your gut is happier. A lot of fermented foods are marketed as being probiotic. I'm sure you've seen yogurt at the store with the word probiotic on it and maybe wondered what that even means. We, we carry a lot of microbes both on our skin and our hair, under our fingernails, obviously, but also in our, in our whole digestive system. And um, we evolved in the presence of these bacteria and they've evolved, evolved in the presence of us. And so we've got this kind of symbiotic relationship with the human body and the microbes that we carry around with us. And so it forms like this tiny little ecosystem inside our bodies. Your gut ecosystem can get out of balance. If you're only feeding your gut highly processed, high carb, low fiber, low nutrient diet, then that will favor the types of microbes that do well under those conditions. And the other types of microbes that we actually evolved in the presence of, don't do very well in those conditions. So a probiotic is something that you can take. You can buy them at the pharmacy. They're, you know, pretty little bottles of probiotics on them. And those are the microbes that we need in our gut to perform well. Kombucha is a little bit different. It's actually a better antioxidant than it is a probiotic. Lactobacillus is a common probiotic, and some tested SCOBIs did not contain any of it. We should note that a lot of the confusion around trying to figure out whether or not kombucha is good for you is because people have different standards for the proof that they want to see. Whether or not kombucha has proven health benefits depends on your own definition of what counts as proof. If word of mouth and anecdotal stories are enough to make you believe, then there is plenty of both as many people have shared that drinking kombucha has made them feel healthier. If any peer-reviewed scientific paper is enough, then there are some of those as well. But if properly controlled studies with human subjects are what you expect, then we don't have those yet. So at the moment, people are looking on um, sort of anecdotal, people's reported feelings of health and reported health benefits when it comes to humans. The research that has been done is, is animal research. Aside from the potential health benefits, kombucha is delicious, at least to me. And I've also discovered that it is incredibly easy to make at home. My friend Chris runs the company Brew Your Bucha with his business partner, Derek. 
They sell kombucha brewing kits and gave me one that I've already used to brew several batches. So I gave them a call to talk about how they got the company started and about brewing kombucha. Oh, well, hi, Lillian. Um, my name is Chris, Chris Yee, and I am uh, one of the owners at Brewer Buja. And my business partner, Derek, is here as well. And I guess Derek can introduce himself. Hey, Lillian. Uh, yeah, this is Derek. Um, Chris and I started Brewer Buja. Was it over a year ago now? Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a blur. It's been quick. It's been crazy. Uh, we both uh, quit our corporate jobs to pursue a life of freedom, but also a life of health and kombucha. So that's kind of where we got started. Awesome. Yeah, Chris, you and I have known each other since university, right? Yeah, it's been a long time. Crazy. So now you've started a company. Tell me how that happened. Um, well, it actually started because of Derek. Uh, Derek and his uh, now fiance were drinking kombucha, buying it from the store, and realized that they were spending quite a bit of money um, buying kombucha from uh, like either Costco or their, their Whole Foods, and they decided to um, brew it themselves. Cool. So you guys are basically kombucha brewing experts now, I imagine. Uh, so for someone that wants to start to brew kombucha, what are the steps that they need to take? I think it's always a learning process uh, with brewing kombucha because every batch is a little bit different. Um, whether with regards to the type of tea you use or the your scoby itself, uh, your scoby is essentially a living organism. And that essentially is what converts your sweet tea, which is essentially uh, hot water and tea as well as sugar, into your kombucha, your finished product. So when I made my kombucha, it was super easy. You basically make tea, strain out the tea leaves if you use tea leaves instead of just tea bags, and then you add sugar in it so that you get sweet tea. You wait till the tea is around room temperature, and then you put it into a glass jar with your scoby. A week later, you have kombucha. So essentially, what's happening is this culture is feeding on the sugars and, you know, some of the, the nitrous within the tea, and it's converting that into one alcohol and two acids. Um, and that's where the acidic flavor comes from kombucha. Um, there is a small amount of alcohol in it, but it's very minimal. It's uh, we always like to say it's the equivalent of a very, very ripe banana, um, which in liquid forms, you're thinking maybe around 0.25% or so. So so that's kind of the process, and then people can let it ferment as long as they want. So if you want less alcohol or less acidity, um, then you let it ferment a little bit shorter. But a lot of people like to ferment all the sugar out of it so that it's a very low-calorie drink, uh, but also has uh, still the, the health benefits that comes with kombucha. So I know at the store I can buy all different kinds of flavors. What are some that you guys have tried at home? Well, uh, personally, myself, uh, uh, Chris, uh, I like to just drink kombucha, um, just, I guess, raw kombucha, as you could say, so unflavored. And then uh, I like to flavor also with uh, ginger. Uh, ginger is probably one of the most popular flavors out there. Yeah, yeah and uh, so I like to experiment a bit. Um, like Chris, I do like, um, like I always have a couple bottles of the unflavored kombucha, which is just kind of in its raw form, which is also delicious. Um, but my experimentation has no limits. So, you know, you can try something um, crazy. You can try banana. I've done that. It's not great. Um, <laughs> uh, you can try a combination of berries um, one of my favorites that I've tried is uh, lychee. Uh, that one's really nice. Not something you would actually find in stores. But yeah, it's, the, the great thing is about it is it's endless. You can literally try chocolate if you wanted to. You can do coffee kombucha. 
Um, I mean, we've used turmeric, we've used various herbs, flowers, elderberry, that kind of thing. So yeah. you can kind of get the idea of what I'm going with here, but there's just so much customization that it's awesome. Uh, Lillian, to add to that, uh, something that we've uh, also been experimenting with are, are kombucha cocktails. So um, that's something that uh, we've kind of played around with. <laughs> and uh, one of them would be like a mojito. So some people would do like um, the mojito flavor of lime and mint. So um, I'm going to assume that you guys put this stuff in like ginger and chocolate after you've already poured the kombucha into a bottle? Uh, yes. There are two fermentation processes. Um, the first fermentation process will actually give you the raw kombucha. So the kombucha that you get at the store um, is probably already flavored. You can get raw kombucha, but um, the ones that are flavored actually go through a second fermentation process where you can add um, your fruits. Um, some people add veggies or other flavorings. And that is uh, where a lot of the time they'll, uh, it'll build up the carbonation that you actually have in the finished drink. Um, uh, we like to use um, airtight bottles, such as a swing top bottle or a bottle with a phenolic cap. And what that does is it keeps the carbonation within the, the drink itself. And um, if you like soda pop, it's a great substitute um, that's actually low sugar. So that's kind of how a lot of people um, go from drinking the kombucha in store to um, making it at home. But you will notice that um, the second fermentation process, if you do it at home, doesn't necessarily have that crisp, as much of a crisp taste. Um, in terms of carbonation as what you get at the store because a lot of companies will actually inject carbonation into their drinks. So that's the when you uh, crack open a bottle of kombucha, that's actually uh, essentially what you're getting. So your kits, they're available on Amazon? Um, they're actually available in a couple different areas. So we have our own website. So if you go to breweryabucha.com, so it's B-R-E-W-Y-O-U-R-B-U-C-H-A.com, you can find them there. We are also on Etsy. As, as well as on Amazon. And uh, we both sell in the U.S. and Canada. So there you have it, food buffs. Now you are all kombucha experts. So, Fakri, what about you? Do you like kombucha? Honestly, I've only ever had a few sips of it. And I'm not a huge fan of bubbly drinks. So, yeah, I didn't ever feel the need to go beyond those few sips. Our mouths are basically opposites. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I like salty things, you like sweet things, I like bubbly things, you like non bubbly things. But between the two of us we can comment on all sorts of foods. That's true. So I haven't spoken to you in like many months. Now we've texted a little bit, but we haven't talked. Right, right. It's uh I think it's been crazy busy for both of us. I just actually got back from a really cool conference in Holland. So the it was an autism conference, and I actually won an award to go there. <gasps> I won student trainee travel award, which Sweet. is kind of a big deal. So that was awesome, um, and it paid for part of my flight to Amsterdam, where the conference was uh, about an hour away in Rotterdam. And so I got to spend time in Amsterdam and Rotterdam. And then on my way back, one of my lab mates and I traveled around Iceland for five days. Yeah, I saw the pictures. So cool. Can you talk about like the coolest stuff that happened? uh, Well, the waterfalls are just breathtaking. Like that was amazing. Um, Like just the scenery in general was jaw dropping. And then one of my favorite moments has to be 
when we first got there and Caitlin and I are driving down while well, I'm driving, she's in the passenger seat and she yells out and points, look, Icelandic horses. So I slam on the brakes, all of the groceries we just bought came flying to the front of the car. And I pull down a little side uh, driveway area and we get out and we go and we, uh, made friends with the Icelandic horses and they were super cute and friendly. <laughs> Although I think they were kind of upset with us for not having any food for them. These were the tiny horses in the pictures. Yes. They're, they're <laughs> not as tiny as the pictures make them look They're, I mean, they're bigger than ponies, but they're smaller than usual horses, but it's more about how furry they are and their hair does all sorts of cool little punk rocker things naturally. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. I was so jealous. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, that looks like the funnest trip. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a really great experience. And uh, I'm, I'm just really happy that I got to do that. So on my end, I don't have anything new to report, but maybe I will since I'm going to Montreal this month. Um, but we're so excited to be back. And I am super excited to get back onto a better schedule of putting out episodes. Right, Fakri? I have definitely missed hanging out with Lillian, even if it's over Skype. And I've missed you guys, food buffs. I hope you all are well. So I hope you guys have an awesome week. Bye, food buffs. Bye.